Today, I want to talk to you about success. This is the last sermon in our study that we're calling the gospel according to David, taking a look at the life of David, learning some lessons so that way we can apply them to our own lives as well. And the last lesson that David teaches us is probably one of the the greatest and most important lessons. And it's a, a lesson on what it means to truly be successful. Out of all the Bible, David might be the most successful character that we meet. I mean, his life is recorded more than anybody else in all the scripture. I mean, 6,000 verses dedicated to the life of David, 66 chapters about his accomplishments, about his achievements, his ups and downs, his highs and lows. No one in the Old Testament is mentioned more than David. And David gets the most mentions out of anyone from the Old Testament in the New Testament as well. I mean, David was one of the most prolific, iconic figures in all of the Bible. And so if there's anyone that could teach us the definition of success, it would be David. David, he was a a shepherd boy, he was a warrior, he was a worshiper, he was a prophet, and he was a king. He was the original Renaissance man. Whatever you could think of, he could probably do it better. He was a 10 on the Enneagram. That's how perfect and amazing and awesome David was. He could teach us what true success actually looks like. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I'm willing to bet that Out of everybody in this room, we all want to be successful when it comes to life. Nobody wants to be a failure. Nobody dreams of growing up and becoming a dropout. No, in every area of our life, we want to be successful. We want to be successful when it comes to being a parent. Amen? All the parents want to be successful in parenting and and raise successful kids. But some days you're like, "If if I could just make it through this day without my kids dying, it would be a good day. Amen? We're killing them. But, you know, I mean, we want to be successful. As you can tell, I'm probably not that successful being a parent. But, you know, we want to be successful when it comes to our marriages. We want to have a successful marriage. In our careers, we desire to become successful financially. We want to be successful. When we go to college, we, we go to college. Why? Because we know that when we graduate, we put in a little hard work. Over time in our lives, we'll be successful. We all desire to be sexful. In fact, our society places a high emphasis on what true success actually looks like. That's why when you go to Barnes & Noble, what the largest section of books in the store is what? Self-help books because we want to be successful. And I always have to wonder, if there's that many self-help books, you'd figure one of them would have worked by now. Uh, But every year, they just keep writing more and more self-help books because we want to be successful. In America, we spend billions of dollars every year on master classes, on education, on degrees, uh, on, on, on conferences. Why? Because we all have this innate desire inside of ourselves to, to be successful. The, one of the largest influencing trends on TikTok or on Instagram is what? Is motivation. It's inspiration. It's tips and tricks on how you can be successful. And our society places a high emphasis on what success is. But here's my question for us. Is, is that the way that the Bible describes or defines success? Does, does God define success based upon how much money you make, what your position in your company is? 
Does God define success based upon what house you live in, what clothes you wear, what car you drive? Does he base that as the identity of what success actually looks like? What is your job? Is that where your identity? Is that when your success? Is that where your greatness comes from? See, my fear is that if we allow the world to define success, we will end up compromising our convictions. If we allow the world's definition of success to be our definition of success, we'll find ourselves doing things that are contrary to the word and to the will of God. We will live in ways that is not what God created us to live. We'll take shortcuts, we'll compromise, we'll take advantage of other people, and we will not live the life that God truly intends for us to live. So my hope, my goal, my prayer for us today is that we wouldn't allow the world to define what success Success is, but rather we'd allow God's word to speak into our hearts and our lives so that way he can give us a true, proper definition of what success actually looks like. And so the last lesson we'll learn from David is probably one of the most important lessons that we'll learn if we want to live like David lived. And it, here's it is. It's the Bible's secret to success. If you have your Bibles, show me to 1 Kings chapter 2. It's David on his deathbed. This is the last words from King David. We met him 59 years ago when he was a little shepherd boy, 13 years old, keeping watch over his father's flock. And he has grown from being a shepherd boy in the fields, totally forgotten, to where now today he is 70 years old. He is the king of Israel, and he's going to give last words and final advice to his son Solomon, who would become the future king as well. And so what we're going to see is a dad giving advice, giving wisdom, and giving the secret to success to his Son. So we're going to see the secret to success, and I'm going to give you five ways for you to be successful. Let's read it here up front. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all of the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it was written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper. And some of your translations, that's going to say, so that we, you may succeed. Because God wants us to succeed. He wants for us to prosper in some of what we do. In most of what we do, in one area of our life, but not in all areas of our life. No, he wants you to prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart, with all their soul, they shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Recently, I read a, a research article that really shocked me. It was a statistic about every single person in the world and every single person in this room. And here's what it said. You ready? It said 100% of everybody alive will eventually die. Did you know that? Yeah, doctors, they would even say it. 10 out of 10 people, they, they die. You're going to die. I know you didn't wake up this morning, come to church, and be like, I hope the sermon's about death. Um, but see, the truth is, is, is that everybody dies. But the sad thing is, not everybody actually lives. Everybody is going to die, but not everybody will truly live in this life. If we allow ourselves to become consumed or distracted 
If we allow ourselves to take it easy or to, to settle for average or settle for less, we will never be able to live the life that God has put inside of each and every one of our hearts. Jesus says it like this, I have come that they may have life and they might have life to the full. God desires that you shall live. And the reality is that everybody dies, but not everybody truly lives. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought about a quote from William Carey, one of the great missionaries. And here's what he says. He says, my greatest fear in life is not failure, but rather succeeding in things that don't really matter. My greatest fear in life is not, is not failure, but it is succeeding in things that in the end, they didn't matter at all. I mean, what does it benefit a person if at the end of their life, the people who are closest to them don't want to spend time with them. What does it mean if you've succeeded in work or you've succeeded in wealth or you've succeeded in your health or you have all the right hashtags in your Instagram bio and you got thousands of followers and a blue check next to your name on Twitter, but at the end of your life, you're not going to be able to take any of those things with you. See, nobody at the end of their life, when they're on their deathbed, they, they say, I wish I would have worked more hours. I wish I would have put in more overtime. Somebody go get me my trophies, get all, the, get all the, 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 the accolades off of my wall. Let's go ahead and bring them in. I just want to hold them one last time. That's not what anybody says. See, death reveals your priorities. At the end of your life, what do you want? You want to spend more time with your kids. You said, I wish I could have just had a little bit more time. You want to hug your kids one last time. You want, to, you want to hold your grandkids. You want to look around the room and you want to see the legacy that you've left behind. Say, I wish I could just hold my wife's hand one last time. I wish I could just tell one more person about the life-changing love of Jesus. Death reveals your priorities. And so if it matters to you then, then it should matter to us now. And this is what David's teaching He's teaching Solomon what matters most in a person's life. He's teaching him the secret to living a life of true success. And what does it say here at the end? He says, here's what success looks, looks like. It looks like walking in the commands of God. It looks like honoring God in everything that you do, keeping his statutes, his commands, his rules, his testimonies, and following him with everything that you have. If you want to truly be successful, here's what he says. He says, love God. Love God, and you will be successful. That is the Bible's definition of what success is. In fact, there's a, another story where a man who is very prominent within society Near the end of Jesus' life, he, he runs up to him, and here's what he says. He says, teacher, what do I need to do to fulfill the law? Or another question might be, what do I need to do in order to be successful? And here's what Jesus says to him. He says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give God everything that you got. Hold nothing back. Lay down your life for him. Love God. But there's not just one most important thing to do. There's two. And the other is to love your neighbor as yourself. That is Jesus' definition of success. Jesus doesn't really care how much money you have. He doesn't care what your job is. He doesn't care if you're a CEO or you're serving tables at a restaurant. 
The definition of success is, do you love God? Do you put him first in everything in your life? Are you passionately, wholeheartedly pursuing after him with everything that you have? Are you loving God with your mind, with your heart, with your soul, your body, and your strength? That's the way that you are successful. But that's not all. There is another, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and to love people, that is the true definition of what success is. And that's exactly what Solomon is learning from David, and that is exactly what we're going to learn about today. I want to give you five secrets of success that come from the story that we hear, that we learn over the life of David. He's going to pass his wisdom along to Solomon, and we're going to receive it from him and apply it to our own lives today. How many of you want to be successful in life? One person in the back. There we go. All right, the rest of us. Hopefully I get you by the end of the sermon. Okay, if you want to be successful, here's the, the first thing that you, you need to do. You need to know this, is that you can't have success without the Holy Spirit. See, some of us, we're going to look at David's life, and we're going to think, I could never be like that guy. I mean, David, he is a, a giant slayer. He writes books of the Bible. He is a warrior. He led 400 mighty men. He was the king of Israel. I will never be like that. So what can I possibly learn from David? I mean, that was 3,000 years ago. And here we are in 2022, downtown Beaumont, Texas. Really? You think I'm going to be successful like David? No way. I will never be like that. I want you to know that you have something that David only dreamed of. You have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. See, the secret to David's success was not David's strength. It was not David's ability. It wasn't his wisdom. It wasn't his intellect. The secret to David's success was that he depended upon the Holy Spirit for everything that he did. All the victories that David won, it was because the Spirit of God was working through him. All of the... All the Conquering David is because of the Holy Spirit. All of his ability to be able to persevere during hard times was because of the Holy Spirit that was active and at work on him. Here's what we see at the very beginning, the introduction of David, all the way back when he was a little shepherd boy in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Here's, here's what it says. Arise and anoint him. Samuel the prophet shows up at Jesse's house. He brings all the sons before him. And then here's what he says. Then Samuel took from the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The secret to David's success is that he was empowered by the spirit of God for everything that he accomplished in his life. It is not what he achieved, but rather it was the anointing that he received that allowed him to do the things that he does. If you want to be successful, you need to depend on and rely on the spirit of God to work in your life. That it's not about your abilities, it's about his ability to work in you. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he wants to do through you. It's not about what you can do for God, but rather what you can do from the presence of God in your life. You know there is a difference, right? Especially those of us who are in ministry, we think, oh, we're doing great things for God, but we're doing them in our own abilities. Say, I'm doing great things for God, but you're doing them in your own strengths. Say, I'm doing great things for God, but you're doing them on your own. There's a difference between doing things for God 
versus doing things from the power and the presence of God in your life. The spirit of God is the X factor on success. You need to rely on the spirit's of God. You ever just find yourself where you just feel like you're stuck in a rut and you're pushing and you're striving and you're trying to do all of these things, but you're not moving the needle forward, you're not moving the ball forward, and you get burnt out and you get tired? Why? Because you're pouring out from an empty cup. If you find yourself feeling empty, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God in your life. We need God's power. That's what David had. And here's the good news if you are a Christian, and you place your hope and trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You have received the Holy Spirit. See, 1 Corinthians 12 says this, no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit of God. The moment you become a Christian, God places his spirit with inside of you. God, very God, the third member of the Trinity, the one who hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation and the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead now makes his home inside your chest. How do you do great things for God? You rely on the spirit of God. How do you overcome sin and temptation in your life? You depend on the spirit of God in your life. How do you seek wisdom? You rely on the spirit of God, which brings wisdom into your life. How do you do anything great for God? You allow God to work through you and in you, and you do it from his power in your life. Here's the idea, is that we need less self-help, we need more God's help. We need less self-help. Self-help is good, but God's help is better. Right? Good advice is good advice, but God is good news. We need more than just self-help. We need God's help in our lives. And here's the good news. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is an ever-present help when in our times of need. You have God, very God, living inside of you. And so stop trying to do everything on your work and your talents and your efforts and allow God's power to begin to work through you. The last words Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he says this, and you will receive power when my spirit comes upon you. The same power that rested on David now rests and resides inside of you. The same power that enabled David to live the life that he lived is the same power that is now living inside of you. The same power that David had access to is the same power that you have access to. Don't settle for less than God's best for your life. When God has placed his spirit inside of you, allow the presence of God and the power of God to transform and to change your life. If you want to be successful, you have to depend upon the Holy Spirit for your life. The second thing is this, is you can't have success without succession. What is succession? Succession is raising somebody up to eventually one day take your place. Paul says it like this, I have ran the race. But here's what many of us don't know. It's not a sprint. It's not a marathon. It's a relay race. And it doesn't matter how fast you run. If you don't hand that baton off to somebody else, you will not be successful when it comes to winning your race. You need to be Raising people up, passing on the baton, investing in other people's lives. This is the goal of every parent, right? Is to hopefully leave a, a heritage for your children and that your children are set up for success and they're a little bit further along than you are. Every CEO in a company or an entrepreneur knows that one day they're going to have to hand that business off to somebody else, and hopefully they're going to continue to be able to grow that business. As a pastor, here's what I know, is that one day... Somebody else is going to be pastoring this church. 
And it's my job to identify who that future leader is, invest in them, and raise them up. Who knows? Our future pastor may be in the youth group we're starting in the month of August. We don't even know. They may be in the children's church right there. They may be in nursery right now. They may be sitting in Home Depot parking lot doing a honeydew for their wife right now, and they don't even know that in the next 10 years they could be the future leader. They might have been at 409 getting slammed on Friday night, but God's going to wreck their life, transform them, change them, bring them in. They might be a cancer disaster, and they don't even know it yet, but it's our job to invest and to hand off the church to the next generation. That's the truth. See, we got to understand this in other areas, but we need to know that our job, our goal as Christians is not just to make it to heaven. You know that, right? See, heaven is a guarantee for those who believe in Jesus. Jesus says a promise, I go to prepare a place for you. Our job as Christians is not to make it to heaven. Our job as Christians is to make a difference while we're here. That, that's, why, that's why you're here. You're here to make a difference, to live a life that matters, and to not sit on the sidelines, but to get into the game and start making a difference in the world and the people that, that you know. That's the goal. The goal is not to make it to heaven. The goal is to make a difference while we're here. I, I don't want to be the type of Christian who makes it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Where I'm just like, well, you know, I pray to prayer. I guess I'm going to go to heaven. No, I pray to prayer. And I want to make a difference with my life while I'm here. I want to live a life that matters. I want to live a life that counts. I want to leave a legacy behind me. My goal is not just to make it to heaven. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. But I want to make a difference while I'm here. This is why you need to be very careful about the world's definition of success. Because the world will tell you success is what you own or what you drive or what you wear. Success is what you can accumulate or success is what you can achieve. But I want to let you know something, that success is not what you achieve, but success is the legacy that you leave behind. You're not going to take it with you. That, that, That lake house, that extra car, all of your possessions... Are possessions bad? No, but don't let your possessions possess you. Is it bad to own things? No, but don't be owned by your things. At the end of your life, you're not going to take it with you. They asked J.D. Rockefeller, the richest man who had ever lived up until that point, Industrial Revolution, the day he died. They asked his accountant, they said, how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? You know what he said? All of it. Why? Because you can't take it with you. But you know what you can take to heaven? The only thing that you will be able to take to heaven is what? Other people. The only thing you can bring to heaven is other people. The people who are around you. The people in our community. The people in our church. The people at your job. Your children. Your brother. Your sister. Your family. Those, that's the only thing you can take to heaven is the people that God has surrounded you with. And so are you loving and sharing and blessing and caring for other people? Because that's the only thing you will ever be able to take to heaven is people. And so we need to have God's definition of what true success looks like. It's, it's succession. It's, it's leading other people to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask. If you want to be successful, ask this question. If everybody lived like me, how different would this world be? If everybody parented the way I parent, what would this world look like? If, if everybody loved their husband or their wife the way that I love mine, what would this world look like? If everybody was as generous as I am, would the world be any different? 
if everybody was as patient as me, or impatient, would the world be a better place? If everybody acted like you, what would this world look like? Or we could even say this, if everybody in this church acted like you, what would this church look like? If everybody served like you, prayed like you, read their Bible like you, gave like you, what would this church look like? That's how we identify what true vision of success looks like. It's, it's not just doing what we want. It's doing what's best for others around us. It's succession. It's investing. It's caring. It's loving. It's blessing. It's, it's helping. It's bringing hope into the lives of those who are around us. That's what real, genuine success looks like. It's not based upon what you achieve in this life, but based upon the legacy that you leave behind when you were gone. The third thing is this, is you can't have success without sacrifice. Here's what he says. He calls David to him, or Solomon rather, to him, and he's going to give him some wisdom. And here's what he says to him. He says, keep the charges of the Lord. Walk in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commands, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper or succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Now, Solomon is about to become king. And he's following in the footsteps of his father, David. And David was the most successful king that there had ever been. I mean, they sing songs about David. They said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. I mean, David, he established the entire nation of Israel. He raised millions of dollars to build the future temple. David is the most prolific figure in the entire Old Testament. And Solomon is about to become king. Now, Solomon, listening to the wisdom of his father, he might be able to say, well, I'm about to be king. So I don't have to listen to anybody. I can do whatever I want because I'm the king, and it's good to be king. But that was not Solomon's attitude. Solomon could have said, look at my house, look at my wealth, look at all these possessions, look at how rich I am. But David says, that's not what true success looks like. Success is not about how big your kingdom is or how big your palace is, or how much money you have. Here's what success is. It's how well you walk with the Lord. That's what true success looks like. It looks like keeping the Lord's commandments. It looks like honoring the Lord in everything that you do. It means walking with God. And as you walk with God, you will begin to prosper in everything that you do. See, Solomon looked at David's success, but he didn't know David's story. That's where a lot of us find ourselves at, is that we might look at other person's success, but we don't know the sacrifices that they made to get there. We look at a musician and we think, oh, I want to be like them, but you don't see the 10,000 hours they spent in their bedroom playing their guitar. You look at a person who's playing a sport and you're like, man, they just got drafted right out of high school, but you didn't see that for 10 hours a day they were on that court practicing that jump shot that they gave up the opportunity to hang out with their friends or, 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 or to, to eat whatever they wanted so they could condition and train their body. They didn't go on vacations. They stayed and they practiced and they prepared and they made sacrifices to get where they at. We live in an instant gratification culture where just because you went to college, you got a degree in finger paint and you think you should make $60,000 a year. Everybody wants what they want when they want it. They don't want to work for it. 
We want what we want. It's instant gratification. It is entitlement mentality. We see the, sac- the success of other people's lives, but we don't see the sacrifices that they had to make in order to get there. David had to make some tremendous sacrifices to become the king. What was his sacrifice? He was a shepherd boy out in the fields, forgotten by his family. Whenever they called him to come be the future king, David wasn't even invited. But yet, as he is anointed, his parents say, get back in the fields. You may be the future king, but you're not king yet. Go get in those fields. Can you imagine the father wound that he must feel to be abandoned, to be forgotten, to not even be invited to be a part of the dinner with his family? But that was David. That was the sacrifice that David had to walk through to become king. And then when he does become entering into the palace, what do we learn? We learn that for 21 years, his job was to dodge spears. King Saul tried to kill him every chance he got. He'd be playing his harp, and all of a sudden, a spear comes right to his head. He's dodging spears for 21 years until he's ran out of the nation of Israel, and he's hiding in a cave for his life. Some of you, you feel like you're in the fields. I want you to know you are not forgotten. Some of you, you feel as if in you're the caves, but God is doing a great work inside of your life. Even in the fields and even in the caves, God has still the ability to work inside of you. See, David, at any moment, he could have said, I'm the future king. Saul, Saul is out. I'm in. Samuel anointed me as king. I have my rights. But that's not what he did. Instead, what do we see? That when he had the opportunity to kill King Saul, he snuck up and he cut off a cloak, piece of his cloak. And the Lord convicted him because he dishonored the leadership above him. And he convicted of that action. Why? Because the Bible teaches us a valuable lesson of what true success looks like. The Bible says this. When you humble yourself... God will exalt you. That God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to what? To the humble. See, David knew we live in an upside-down kingdom. If you want to be first, you got to be last. The one who wants to find his life must lose it. See, the world's definition of what success looks like is not what God's definition of success is. So whenever we talk about sacrifices, people get all squirmy and stuff. They're like, sacrifice? I think I'm allergic to that. It makes me break out in hives. But I think it's because we have a false definition of what sacrifice means. Here's what sacrifice means. It's giving up what you want now for what you want most. That's what sacrifice is. As parents, we understand this. As parents, we understand what it means to sacrifice for our children. Sacrifice is not a bad thing. Sacrifice is a good thing when you sacrifice for your kids. What do you sacrifice for your kids? Time. I can't tell you how many chicken nuggets I've eaten. <laughs> you sacrifice your hobbies. You sacrifice money. Like daycare is expensive. And then you sacrifice the ability to watch whatever you want on TV. Like, I can't, like the other day I came home, I watched Paw Patrol for the bajillionth time the other day. I was like, I just want to watch Obi-Wan. It was like, no, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. Ugh. And so there we go, watching Paw Patrol one more time. Right, because I'm making sacrifices now so that way when my daughters grow up, I get to see the reward of those sacrifices in their life. We understand when it comes to our finances, if you want to save for retirement, you got to make some sacrifices. Like you can't just eat out every single day, all day, and then be like, I wonder why I don't have any money. Right? It's because you didn't make sacrifices because you chose what's now versus what's most important later. And if we understand it in those areas of our lives, then why do we neglect it when it comes to the most important area of our life, our soul? 
Right? As, if, as, if, as if we could sacrifice for these things, but we can't sacrifice for the one who gave his life for us. Right? And so we don't think of spiritual significance because we don't think of spiritual sacrifice. If you want to be successful in the spirit, you must be willing to sacrifice the things of this life. So as Christians, what are some things that we need to be mindful that we sacrifice? Four things. First is this. You can sacrifice your time. Time is the most precious thing that we have. You know why? Because you can't get it back. Like you can make more money, but you can't make more time. Like you can get more energy, you can take a nap, but you can't, you can't get back more time, which means we can't waste our time, but rather we need to invest our time. Investing our time in the things that matter the most in our life. We need to learn to sacrifice our time. I am so grateful for every person who is on our serve team. You know why? Because they sacrificed their time. You didn't have to show up here at 8 a.m., but you did. I know it's your day off, but you're here serving the Lord. You're giving of your time. I'm so grateful. Hey, let's just give it up for all those in our serve team who make redemption possible. Thank you so much for all of those who are in our serve team. Redemption wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the sacrifice that you make. Number two, we sacrifice of our talents. God has given each one of us a gift and an ability. How are you stewarding the gifts and the abilities that God has placed inside of you? We give of our talents. Why? So that way we can become popular? No, but so that way we can make his name famous. We give and sacrifice of our talents so we can further the kingdom, further the mission, and we can help more people experience life change through Jesus. Every single one of you, you have a talent and you have a gift, and it comes through serving. It comes through participating in the local church that that gift will then become released and displayed and discovered throughout your life. We sacrifice time. We sacrifice our talents. What talent do you have? Number three, we sacrifice of our treasures. Financially, we make sacrifices for the kingdom of God. We tithe 10% first and best to the Lord. And then we go above and beyond in our generosity. Why? Because a legacy is not just what you receive, it's what you leave behind. A life is not what you live, a life is what you give away. And so we consider it a joy and a privilege to be able to give and to, to bless others. Listen, you don't have to give, you get to give. And what we've discovered for those of us who have constantly been making sacrifices of our treasures, we understand this, is that you can't outgive God. It's impossible. Go ahead, give it a shot, give it a try. I've been doing it for 16 years, and he's always taken care of me. He's always one-upped me. He's always provided for me, and he's never let me down. You can't outgive God. And here's what Jesus says. When you give, you're storing up treasures in heaven. You're not taking it with you. No, no, no. But you are sending it on ahead of you. You, store, you sacrifice your time, your talent, your treasures. And then lastly, you sacrifice your temptations. So what, what do I mean by that, by temptations? Well, the biggest failure in David's life came from when he didn't sacrifice his time, talents, or treasures. There's a story we read about Bathsheba. It says all the king's men were out at war. And it was time to go to war as the kings would. But David didn't go fight. David was unwilling to make that sacrifice. He wanted to take it easy. He wanted to play it safe. He thought, I think I've done enough. I deserve a little vacation. I'm going to take a little R&R. And while everybody else around him was sacrificing their time, talents, and treasures, David succumbed to his temptations. When you don't sacrifice your time, talents, and treasures, 
then you will find yourself in a place of great temptation in your life. When you take it easy, that's when you become an easy target. See, David, he, he learned this because he saw Bathsheba bathing upon the roof. He didn't have to see her on the roof. He could have been out doing battle like he was supposed to do. But because he didn't make the sacrifice, he succumbed to his temptations. And he got her pregnant. And then to try to cover up that sin, he had her husband murdered. One of the greatest failures of his life. Why? Because he didn't make the sacrifice. Right now, some of you, you're tempted in life to not want to, to make the sacrifices. You don't want to sacrifice your time or your talent or treasure and pursuing after God or walking in his ways. And so you're giving up, you're giving in, and eventually you're going to give in to that temptation. You're struggling and wrestling with temptation. But I want to encourage you with something, is that temptation is not sin. Do you know that? Temptation is not sin. So many people, whenever they're tempted, they feel defeated. I say, well, I'm defeated, so I might as well go ahead and give in to it because I'm tempted, which means I might as well just go ahead and do the thing that I'm tempted to do. But that's not true. Why? Because Jesus himself was tempted. Did Jesus ever sin? No. Jesus was perfect even though he was tempted, which means that temptation is not sin. Temptation's a choice. Every single one of us, we wrestle with different temptations. But I want you to understand something, that even though you're tempted, it doesn't mean you're defeated. It's a choice. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to sin, or it's an opportunity for you to grow. It's an opportunity for you to turn your back on Jesus, or it's an opportunity to follow after him. Temptation, though, in of itself is not sin. So what do you do with those temptations you have? You sacrifice them. You kill your sin, or else your sin will be killing you sacrifice the temptations of your life. Some of you, you're tempted. As I'm worshiping right here in the front, before service began, the Lord dropped something to my heart. There is someone in this room right now who's thinking about divorcing their wife. That is a temptation that you have. And I want to let you know, one man to the other, that you need to kill that temptation. There's, there's people in this room, you're tempted with other things. And I want you to know, you can kill that temptation. Let Jesus die the death for the sin so that your sin doesn't put you to death. So it doesn't ruin your life. Submit those temptations unto the Lord. Whether it's sexual sin that's tempted. Whether it's homosexuality or other transgenderism or, or gender dysphoria. I want you to know that inside of you there's this temptation. But that temptation is not sin. That temptation is an opportunity to see God do something wonderful wonderful in your life, whatever that temptation is, whether it's greed or whether it's giving up or whether it's turning back, drugs, addiction, alcoholism for a single mom raising two kids who finds out she's pregnant again. I know the temptation to get an abortion, but I want you to know that that temptation is not defeat. It's an opportunity for victory in your life. Amen. When you say no to sin, how do you say no to sin? Well, you, you, you sacrifice the right things. You sacrifice your time, spending time in God's word, reading your Bible. You sacrifice your, your talents. You sign up for a summer session. You get plugged into the church. And you discover the gift that is inside of you. You go to Next Steps next week and you discover that gift. And you begin to sacrifice those talents, not to serve yourself, but to serve God and others. And then you sacrifice your treasures. Why? Because your money, your heart always goes where you put your money. Right. And where the treasure is, your heart is. Do you want to see God do great things in your life? 
sacrifice the right things so you don't succumb to the wrong things. And some of you right now, I just feel it in the room. There's some people who are excited and there's some people right now you're, you're, you're making excuses. You say, but I, I can't do that. I can't live that way. That may be great for you, preacher man, but that's just not for me. And you start making excuses of why you get exempted from living a holy, godly life. You're like, that, that's great for others, but that's, that's just not me. I mean, the Bible, it's antiquated, it's outdated. That has no bearing or impact on me. And so I'm just going to do this. And so you're justifying your choices and your decisions and you're making excuses as to why you get a pass and other people don't. That's fine. If that's the way you want to live your life, that's cool. But I just want you to understand something. If you're good at making excuses, you won't be good at anything else. Like if you're good at making excuses, then that's all that you're going to make in life. You're just going to make excuses. If that's the way that you want to live your life, don't expect anything out of that life. Because you're just going to be making excuses all the time as to why you're exempt or why you're special or why you're justified. But you're not going to be successful if you continue to make excuses. You will become successful if you learn to make a sacrifice, though. When you learn to sacrifice, that is the key to success. So the prophet Isaiah says, if you hear the voice of the Lord, today is the day. Not tomorrow, not 10 years from now. When you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. Salvation is a word for today. It's not a word for tomorrow. It's not a word for the next person. It's a word for you. It's a word for today. Today is the day of salvation. The all those who hear, let them hear. It comes through sacrifice. Number four, you can't have success without submission. Here's how the story goes. It says this here. It says that you walk in the ways of the Lord. Whose ways? Not your ways. It's the Lord's ways. Not the world's ways. Whose ways? It's the Lord's ways. Well, what does that mean? That means that we have to submit. How many of you guys like life hacks? You know what a life hack is? It's a little thing that you do that just, you're like, how did I not know this before? And then you do it, and it just makes life so much easier. Like, I love scrolling through TikTok and finding different life hacks. Like one of my favorite ones that I use all the time is when we go grocery shopping. If you take your, uh, your carabiner on your keys and you just latch it in there, you can carry all the groceries from HEB in one trip. I just feel like such a man when I do that. Ash is like, my baby, yeah. <laughs> or, or if you take your key fob and you hold it up on your chin, you hit, the, you hit the panic button, your head will actually like extend the range. It's wild. Go ahead, try it. Next time you're at Target and you can't like find your phone, just stick it out here and it's go, it'll extend the range. It's a, it's a great life hack. And people come to church and they want a pastor to give them a spiritual life hack. Pastor, just give me something that I can do this week that's going to bring change into my life. I love that. Let me give you a life hack. Here is the ultimate life hack. You ready? Blessings always follow obedience. If you want to see the blessings of God in your life, then you need to obey God with your life. Blessings always follow obedience. But here's the problem, is we want God to bless us before we obey. You ever discovered that? You're like, God, if you will just do this for me, then I would live for you. God, if you just answer this prayer, then I'll follow after you. God, if you just give me a raise, then I'm going to start giving and tithing to you. God, if you would do this for me, quid pro quo, I'll do this for you. But you know that doesn't work with God? We get it backwards. We think, 
We think blessings first and then obedience, but that's just not the case. But rather, it is obedience that opens the door for God's blessings in your life. Here's what David says. Solomon, my son, this is so important. You want God to bless you? Obey him in everything that you do. And if you obey him, if you submit to his word, his will, his decrees, his testimonies, and his rules, life will go better for you. Why? Because blessings always follow after obedience. And so Solomon takes this wisdom. And in the next chapter, God shows up to Solomon. And Solomon, he makes a sacrifice. That's how it starts. It starts with a sacrifice. And then God shows up and he says this to Solomon. He says, I will give you whatever you want. Whatever you want, ask for it, it's yours. First Kings chapter three. And Solomon, he pauses for a minute and then this is what he says. He says, I am but a young man and these people that I'm gonna lead are so great. How can we lead these great people? And so Solomon says this, God, give me a discerning heart and wisdom to know the difference between good and evil. So that way I can follow you and keep your commands. Solomon listened to his dad, obedience first. And then here's what God says to him in response. God says, because you asked for wisdom, not money, not power, not conquering the nations, because you sought my definition of success, I'll give you even greater success. And God responds and says, I'll give you everything else too. Because when you get wisdom, you get everything else. I'll grant you wisdom. I'll also give you money and power and reputation and wealth. I'll throw all of that in together. And then he says this at the very end. He says, as long as you walk in my ways and keep my commandments, there will always be someone sitting on this throne. And Solomon says, I just want to serve God with everything that I have. I just want to worship you. I just want to honor you. I just want to obey you. God says, you can have anything you want. He says, I just want more of you. I just want your wisdom. I want to discern the difference between right and wrong. And because he sought the heart of God, he gets the hand of God in his life. Blessings. You want to walk in God's blessings? How about you walk in obedience of God's word? But here's, here's what I've, I've, I've learned as a parent is that kids don't like obeying. <laughs> Have you discovered that? Like, I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, right? They're fighting all of the time. Like, I mean, they come out of the factory not knowing how to obey. It is, it is a bug. It is not a feature. <laughs> you have to teach them to obey. You don't have to teach them to disobey. I have to teach them. Hands are for holding, not for hitting. Uh, the other day, Ruth, she's two years old. They were playing with some My Little Pony or something, and Esther, like, took it from her. Ruth, kid you not, just grabbed her little toy broom, flap, right upside of Esther's head. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was amazing and terrible. Don't do that. And so I pulled her to the side. All the parents laugh. All those without kids are like, my kid will never do that. Ah, <laughs> uh, if you want to laugh. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. You're going to get the worst kids for judging others. So, so here's what I did. I pulled him to the side. And this is what I do, a little parenting hack for those of you who are parents. Here's what I do. I pull her to the side, and I get down eye level with her like this, and I look her in the eyes. I'm trying to 
have a moment. And so I, I ask her this. I say, say, who are you? She say, my name's Ruthie. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to ground her in reality just to bring her back to herself. Because when your, your emotions get all angsty in your, your body and you disassociate from your mind. So as a little kid, she can't handle her emotions. So I'm trying to teach her how to take control of those emotions. So I say, what's your name? She says, Ruthie. Okay, I say, okay. I say, who am I? She says, you're my daddy. Okay, I say, who loves you the best and the most and wants good for your life? She says, mommy. <laughs> Not close enough. But then I pull her in and I give her a hug. Why? Because I want good for her. You know, God is a father and he wants, he wants good for you. He wants for you to succeed and for you to be prosperous. He wants for you to learn. He wants for you to grow. He wants good for your life. And here's how I, here's how I say it to my girls every single time. You can ask Esther in the lobby or in kids' church. She'll be able to say this. I say it every single time. I say, baby, life goes better when you listen. See, I, I'm her dad. She's two. I know better than her. And some of you, whenever you read the Bible or you think about the commands of God, you think you know better than God. But God is the creator of the universe. He knows how it works. You get the cheat code when you read the Bible. God is the author of life. He is the only one who can tell you what true life actually looks like. And so don't be like a two-year-old trying to argue with God. Instead, listen to God, follow his ways, and obey his commands. As you read through the Bible and you, you come across things that you struggle or you wrestle with, you say, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. That's my temptation. That's my sin. God, talk about somebody else's right now for a minute. I want you to understand something, is it would not be in God's word if it was not for your good. Do you want good for your life? Read the word of God. Follow the word of God. Obey the word of God. Live out the word of God for your life. Why? Because blessings come from obedience. And life is always better when you learn to listen to the Lord. It comes through submission. Then lastly, number five, as we close, it's the last point in our study through the life of David. I hope you've enjoyed the life of David. Anybody in here enjoyed this series? Every now and again, there's a, a sermon series that just kind of roots in the heart and the life of the church. I love hearing the stories coming through small groups and having messages from people in our church and on our teams about the life of David. I'm going to close with this final message is you can't have success without sanctification. Was David a perfect man? By no means. David was conflicted. He desired to follow God, but at the same time, he would give into his own desires. David would do great things for God, but at the same time, he made a lot of mistakes. David, he was a, a warrior, but at the same time, he had fear of man issues. He became a really good father, but he still had a father wound from his own parenting. David was a complicated character, but you know what? You're complicated too. And so you got a lot in common with David. But if you were to ask David on his deathbed, and you were to say, David, what is the secret to your success? 
Here's what David would say. It's not about perfection, but it's about the direction of your life. See, following Jesus is not about perfection, but it's about direction. It says here that as long as you obey these commands, there will always be one who sits on the throne. David was not perfect, but his life was designed to point us to the one who will be. And generations go by from David to Solomon and to his sons, and then all of a sudden there's a new king who comes onto the scene, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the great, great, great grandson of King David. God kept his promise to David. As long as you follow me, there will always be one who sits upon this throne. And there is a king who will never fail you, who will never disappoint you, who will never betray you. And he takes you just as you are because he was perfect in your place. Here's what sanctification means, my friends. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus day by day, week by week, year after year over the course of your life. For some of you, you judge yourself way too hard about where you're at and where you want to be. But sometimes you need to stop and look back and see where you used to be. Because David's not a shepherd boy anymore. David became the king. David's not out in the fields anymore. He's surrounded by his family. The only time you should look back is to see how far you've come in life. You may not be where you want to be, but praise God, you're not where you used to be. That's what sanctification looks like. That's what God desires for each and every one of us, that we would continue to learn and to grow, that we would repent of our sins, we'd admit our mistakes, we'd get up and we'd keep moving forward. What was the secret to David's success? Is he pursued sanctification at all costs. That's why at the end of his life in the book of Acts, thousand years into the future, it writes this on David's epitaph, his tombstone, his memorial. It says, David was a man after God's own heart. Do you want to be successful? Pursue after the heart of God. Do you want to be a great dad? You know how to be a successful dad? You pursue the heart of your father. Do you want to be a great mom? Here's how you do it. You pursue the heart of God. May it be said of us at Redemption Church that we are men and women who are passionate about the heart of our Father. Do you want to be great at your job? Here's what you do. You pursue God in everything that you do. Do you want to be great in your college, in your education? Here's what you do. You pursue God in all that you do. You seek the heart of the Father in everything that you do. For those of you who are in high school, here's what you do. You pursue after the heart of God in everything that you do. You want to you pursue God in your finances, in your faith. You want to pursue God when it comes to your family, your dreams, your hopes, all those things. You put God first in everything. You seek first the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus says. Everything else will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. How does God define success? That you love him with everything that you got. Are you loving God with all that you got? Or are you holding something back? See, the truth is, is you can have as much of God as you want. Do you want more of God? Those who seek will find. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
and everything else will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. May it be said of Redemption Church that we are men and women who are passionate about the heart of our Father.